Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Oklahoma, 1855. The Choctaw Nation didn't settle this territory voluntarily. They were forced here by the United States government. Soon after settling the territory, members of the tribe would run into man-like beasts. The Choctaws were well aware of what these things were. Reports started coming in of food being stolen. Vegetables, fish, constantly being taken from the tribe. Tribal members started coming forward, saying they not only saw the creatures take the food, but they saw the creatures fight over the food. The Choctaws were known for being strong, fierce warriors. But in 1855, they would experience something that they would never forget. The natives started to notice that as food became more scarce, people started coming up missing. 19 women and children had come up missing that year. The Choctaws decided to put an end to it. A troop of 30 of Choctaw's best warriors were put together, including a gentleman by the name of Joshua LaFour. LaFour was a mixed blood, 
He was part French, part Chinese. He was deeply respected by the men. Lafleur was a captain, and he led his men to the creatures. After riding for eight hours straight, it was now 4:30 in the afternoon. As the men approached a hilltop, Lafleur commanded all of his men to stop. He pulled out his spyglass, looked down the hill and saw the creatures about 500 yards away. He then commanded a full charge. All hell was about to break loose. With an overwhelming stench of death in the air, Captain LaFleur looked back to see most of his men being thrown from their horses as the horses reared up in fear of the creatures. Captain LaFleur, along with eight of his best men, kept riding forward. Their horses never flinched, never wavered. The men were totally unprepared for the greeting they were about to receive. As the captain rode in, he noticed off to his right there was a large mound of dead women and children in various stages of decay. Enraged, the captain pulled his pistol and emptied it into one of the creatures. The creature never flinched. With one swipe, the creature broke the neck of the captain's horse, throwing him from the horse. <laughs> Captain Lafour got up, pulled out his saber, and began stabbing the creature. Covered in blood, the creature grabbed Captain Lafour's neck and ripped his head off. The Choctaw warriors used their large caliber rifles and started shooting the creatures in the head. When the dust settled, all of the creatures were dead. The warrior's beloved captain also lay dead. He was respectfully buried, along with the 19 women and children. As the men rode back, it was hard replaying the day's events. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. I hope you enjoyed that story about Joshua LaFour. Uh, there's a county actually in Oklahoma named LaFleur County after the captain and his family out of respect. Very fascinating history out there in Oklahoma. If you get a chance, check it out. I, I posted the whole story to the blog. If you go to sasquatchchronicles.com, you can check out, read the full story of that account. Very, very fascinating. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone out there. One announcement I wanted to make. I'm going to be in Texas on the 15th of June, and most of my time is going to be wrapped up with uh, shooting this television project, 
One of the things I wanted, I wanted to ask for a favor from the audience. If you've been on the show before, if you could email me the episode along with the contact information, if you're interested in, in being on television, recounting your story, <laughs> Tracy. Uh, so if, uh, <laughs> I make reference to Tracy, he, he called in, had a fascinating story and I would love to, uh, to have him be a part of that. I realize not everyone wants to be on TV. Uh, I definitely don't want to be. So, I mean, I, <laughs> if I'm, if I feel that way, I, I definitely understand someone else feeling that way too, but it's going to be a cool project. Uh, like I said before, I wanted to kind of change how the media views this topic and not only me change it, but I mean, people who've had encounters come forward and kind of change the way this is looked at through the media. So if you've been on the show in the past and you'd like to be on film, shoot me an email, let me know what episode you were on. And then if you could send me your updated contact information, I've been going through some of my old files and some of the numbers are either disconnected or uh, not working. So if you would just go ahead and send me your updated contact information, uh, that would be great. <laughs> Why all of a sudden do I feel like the guy from Office Space? Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot, but uh, it's... Not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, Bye -bye, I, I have Peter. the memo. I've got it. It's right. Best movie ever. And if you don't think that's funny, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you have had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show... Please use this email address only, wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. I generally don't check my other email, uh, so if you have an old email address for me, please use the wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. I promise you I will call you back. I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, and what I'm going to try and do is utilize encounters I've had on the show for the television project. I, and again, I realize not everyone wants to be on TV. I get it. I completely understand it. But if you'd like to come on the podcast and share your encounter, please, please, please email me, Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. Uh, and then, you know, I'd like to transition some of the encounters to video format, to a television format. Well, tonight's going to be an interesting night. Uh, Cato emailed me. He's with the Nez, Nez Pierce tribe, and he wanted to share some of the encounter stories. Uh, that he grew up with and some of his family members have experienced. So, Cato, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Wes. And before we actually, I, I know there's a lot of stories, a lot of really interesting stories that um, I want to have you talk about as far as the tribe goes. We start off by talking about your encounter as far as when you heard them. Oh, yeah. So, we have a, a cabin up in Idaho. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere on this mountain. And we stay up there in the cabin and stuff. And one night we were 
sleeping and um, my mom first heard it was a kind of a scream, kind of like a a woman getting like assaulted or I don't know. It just sounded like a weird scream. It was just like high pitched and it was scary. And like once we heard that, we just kind of put the lights on and kind of tried to ignore it. And then the next day we walked around the camps, the other campgrounds and everyone in the whole camp heard it and like we have a two mile radius of just camp like cabins and every single person heard it and they said they heard it like by their camp and we heard it by our camp so people believe there's like multiple ones just kind of circling our camp and people believe they circle our camp when we're not up there because they'll find like our cabins open or people go up there like alone and they'll see stuff and they tell you not to go alone up there because sometimes people see stuff and just creepy like that. Growing up on the reservation, growing up, you know, being around people, you know, within the community, what did they talk about these things? What was kind of the general, because I know that your family's aware of them and, you know, the different tribal members are aware of them. What was kind of the conversation that they uh, had talked about? Did When you heard the screaming, I mean, we'll get to some of the other stories, but when you heard the screaming, what did your family members say? They, the night we heard it, they didn't know what it was. And then when we, in the morning, we were like, did we hear what we actually heard? And then once everyone else kind of confirmed it, then we were like, oh yeah, it's, it's probably either Bigfoot or some ghosts because <laughs> that place is pretty old and haunted too. Your folks have actually seen the creature. Um, my mom has. And what happened when she saw it? She saw it when she was little, and she was coming back from Seattle. And her, my aunt, my grandma, which is her mom, and my grandpa, they were driving home because they live in Idaho, so they just would go over to Seattle sometimes and check it out. And we are, she said that when they were driving, they saw a really tall black man. Like, that's what they said, a black man at the time standing on the side of the road just watching cars and they're like why is that big black guy like standing there and the closer they got they realized it wasn't a man and it was kind of just a, a big creature watching and they couldn't believe what they saw and they wanted to stop but then like they're on the highway so they just kind of saw it and were in disbelief because you hear about those things happening like people seeing it all the time but once you see it or, like, hear it, it just catches you off guard. Like, you can't really be ready for it. Yeah, no, you're never ready for it when you see it. What I is... mean, people say they are ready for it, you know, like, finding Bigfoot or whatever. They, they're they all ready to see it. But once I feel like if they do see it, then they are pretty much no more finding Bigfoot. <laughs> Even some of your hardened researchers that have been out for a while and have seen them and have heard them, I think every encounter... They're first to tell you, well, I really wasn't expecting that. It's, you know, or they'll want, it's kind of like, um, you know, I've had a lot of guests on who are researchers and they will be first to tell you that, well, it started roaring or it started screaming. And so we left. It always throws me off because I'm like, yeah, this is why you're there. This is what you're out there for. Yeah. Like you're not going out there to just hear some wind knocks. You're out there to hear some actual creatures making sound <laughs> yeah 
Well, I'll let you take over the mic. Tell us some stories that have been handed down to you through the community of the Nez Pierce, and and uh, I'll let you take over. Sweet. So the Nez Pierce tribe, everyone kind of grows up believing in Bigfoot, and it's whether or not you see him. There's a lot of people that seen him, and then there's a lot of people that haven't, but they still believe. And so when I was growing up, I heard, don't go out in the woods alone because you'll hear sounds like something will try to pull you into the forest and take you. And at that time, they would say stick ins But now the more I hear like about stick ins the more I believe it's actually like Bigfoot encounters because I, I would hear stories like, oh, yeah, we heard something in the background making noise. And we're just like, oh, it's probably just stick ins watching us. So we left. And that's what you do all the time you leave because you don't give it any attention. Otherwise, it could like it got you if it got you if you give it your attention because then you're gonna get curious and you're gonna walk towards it and that's exactly what it wants. And there's stories of um, the Nez Perce tribe going up to the camp that we stay at. It's called Talmox, and the stories we hear up there is people go up there like alone or something just to go up there to camp out by themselves. And this one older lady, she said that, I forgot her name, but she's related to me. She said she was sitting in her cabin and um, there's like this open area in the middle of the whole campground and it's like the trees are cut down and just the open fields for events to happen and bonfires, like so the whole camp can get together. She said that she was sitting there and she was looking out in the field and she saw two like really big men walk like through the camp and she was like, they didn't look like men the closer they got. So she kind of sat in her cabin and hid out and she said that they were walking around the camp kind of checking it out and she said that if they were probably checking to see if anyone was around. And that's what a lot of people believe in, especially like the elders, the older people, they said that these these human-like creatures will walk around this camp to see if it's safe for them to stay. Or once people come, they'll stay back and watch. And they they seem to know when people are around and when people aren't. And when you're by yourself, they aren't scared. Like, if you're with a little group, they'll be curious and check you out. But if you're with a big camp, they're not going to come in the middle of the camp and look at you. They're going to stay on the back. But... Yeah, you always heard stories about don't go out in the forest alone because these things could easily drag you out or whatever. And I remember this story. My cousin, he he works for uh, the forest, right? like the National Forest. And he his job is to watch for fires. And those fire towers are in the middle of nowhere. Like they have to park on the out in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road and then walk like at least 30 or 40 miles or it's just a long walk and then they get up there and they pretty much just live up there forever and there's stories where this my cousin said he would stay up there and he would feel being shake like try to shake the post or he'd look down and he'd hear people like i don't know kind of gibberish talk and he just could hear like veins walk around he knew it wasn't people so he knew that these things saw him walk up to the tower by himself and they knew he was in there by himself. They they just were like kind of observing him, I guess. And every time he left, he always was like 
I was so scared to leave because I knew these things knew I was here, but that's my job, I guess. So, yeah, you hear stories all the time like that, and it, it does its job. It scares you. <laughs> I never went out in the forest alone because of those stories. But now the more I hear, the more, like, interested I'm getting. It's interesting. So the Nez Pierce tribe doesn't really believe that these things are the friendly forest giants, or they don't really believe that these are happy-go-lucky giant running around in the forest. I mean, they're warning people, don't don't go in there by yourself, don't go out at night. Uh, and specifically referencing these creatures, that's interesting. You know they're there, but you don't want to don't want to see them. That's that's what my grandma told me. Like, you know they're there. You believe everyone that like tells stories because we've all seen it, but you don't want to go looking for them. And did she give a specific warning why? Um, just all the stories that go around. The reservation is filled with a bunch of stories, like scary, like stories where people get scared mainly and even seeing it scares them what does the nez pierce tribe think that these things are does anyone ever talk about that they think they're like um a tribe of people because um some people have said that they've seen them walking in a line and the line looks like a old kind of how indians used to walk back then like they have the full adults in the front the children in the middle and then like the elders in the back. And I've heard stories where they've seen that exact thing. Like they'll see the kind of older ones walking and then the younger ones, like the shorter ones in the middle and then like the gray haired ones in the back kind of watching out for the little ones. And then they all have their own like signals to warn each other. And oh, they communicate like all the time in the forest. I, I've actually heard a lot of encounters where people talk about them walking in a line or seeing two or three and they seem to be walking, not next to each other, but one, you know, behind, one in the front, you know, all kind of walking in a line. And yeah. it's, it's kind of like what the uh, Native Americans, well, it even goes back to military strategy. <clears throat> and I'm not placing this on them, but it even goes back to military strategy. You hide your numbers that way, you know, when, mm -hmm. you're, when you're walking in a line. Um, it makes it easier to kind of run away if you have to. Tribes used to do that. They would, because they would hide, conceal their numbers. You know, if you got a one tribe down here that has a thousand people, and then you have a tribe up on the hill that has equal number, but it's sparsely broken apart, and they're all walking single file, it's hard to figure out how many people you're up against. Has anyone in the tribe ever talked about people showing up missing? directly blaming it on Sasquatch? I haven't heard of any stories, mainly because we all know that we don't go in the woods by ourselves, and when people do go in the woods, like, stuff happens where, I don't know, you just kind of are aware that these things are there, so you just kind of stay, stay elusive out there. Well, and it's interesting, too, about your cousin's story, I guarantee if that would have been three guys up in that fire, t anyone who doesn't know uh, what Gato's talking about, basically if you, they have them here in Washington State, and you're right, they're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and Roger Patterson used to actually go to those uh, so he'd have a clear view of the landscape, and he used to use them trying to find Sasquatch. He'd get up in those uh, fire towers and basically use it as a lookout. 
But it's interesting, you know, with your cousin's situation, I'd be willing to put money down right now that if he went with two or three other people, they probably, those Sasquatches probably would have never came up to that fire tower. But the simple fact that he was alone it makes me wonder, what is the intention there? You know, why go up because and shake the tower? Why? Makes you wonder what their intention was. Makes it sound creepy, huh? Yeah, it makes it sound creepy. It makes it sound like almost prey is what it sounds like. Like they were stalking him? Yeah, just kind of stalking him and maybe hoping they could scare him enough to come down and take off running. What else does a tribe have to say about these creatures? These creatures are out there. They're not friendly, don't pay attention to them, kind of warnings, bunch of warnings. Now, does your tribe consider it like bad luck? If you see one, I know sometimes I've heard some tribal people talk about that. Like if you see one, it's bad luck or, or is, is it mainly that, Hey, this is a wild animal or wild person and just stay away from him. Um, we kind of like think it's a creature and people that do see him up close just say he was so ugly and it was the ugliest sight I've ever seen. And there's actually stories of like, people going kind of crazy after they see this thing like a little bit older ladies will see it when they're because up there older ladies kind of drive by themselves all the time and when they see it they kind of get scared and some of them even go in the shot it's sad but like they say they're ugly and they're just like so ugly it's just you can't handle it your brain can't comprehend it is there one story that you can think of uh, that you've been told, you know, either through family, friends, or people in the community, where you just stopped and went, my God. One where this woman was up at that Camp Tallnox, and she was staying up there by herself, and she went in the, we have porta, like really old porta potties up there, so she went in the porta potty, and she felt something like kind of shake it, and then she heard like, it's like a bunch of like, sound like a bunch of people running around. And when she opened the door, there was no one there. And she said it's either a squatch or some ghost. But then once she got back to the camp, she could really smell like that's the one thing that gets you like alarmed is the smell. A lot of people can smell him when he's around. Like it's just a really overpowering smell. And I haven't smelled it before because I've usually been inside but whenever like people smell they just say it smells like the worst thing ever and so this camp that you guys go up to was it your mother that saw it or you said a lady went up there and saw two of them yeah an older lady that was staying up there by herself the older lady that was up at the camp by herself did she describe to you or you know as she was telling the story did she describe what she saw yeah, she said that they were far off, like, they were way over there, and she was like, oh, it's people, because people go up there and camp all the time. And she said the closer they got, the more she realized they weren't people. And then they were, like, pretty much right next to her cabin, and she was inside and just kind of hiding. And they weren't opening cabins or anything, they were just walking through, and she watched them walk by, and she said it was ugly, and... She was pretty terrified because she got dropped off up there, so she didn't have any a way to get out of the camp. And she sounded pretty scared. And like she goes up there again, and 
she's a tough old baby. I don't know how she goes back up there, but she saw it and she said, I saw it and I don't want to see it again. Actually, that reminds me of another story I heard. So my mom, my my grandma, so my mom's mom told me that one of her friends used to go huckleberry picking all the time. And when she did that, she like go stop her car somewhere, park it, and then walk like two or three miles and then set up camp. And she just like picks for days. And she said that one night she was getting followed by something. And so when she got back to her camp, she started a fire and she said this, this like really ugly creature got like right by her on the fire and just started watching her. And I kind of believe since she was an older lady, I saw that she was kind of weak and she wasn't a, a, like a threat. I just kind of sat there and watched her. And this is how the story goes. She said that it sat there and then she kind of said those first words to it because that's, that's what that's what they tell you if you see ghosts or anything you don't want to see, just tell it to go away in this purse. And she said she said that and it just sat there. Then when she went in her teepee, it followed her in there. So then she decided to leave and she when she was walking back to her car, it was just following her the whole time. And she didn't say it attacked or anything, it just was following her. Wow, so it was following her around before she left. Yeah, like, it went in the teepee with her because she had a pretty big teepee, and once it did that, just had to leave. And I, I that, that terrified me when I heard that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of strange. It followed her into, was it, a, did she describe how big it was? Was it a smaller one, or? Yeah, she didn't say it was, like, huge. She just said it was, like, five, six feet tall. So I was thinking it was probably a younger one, just kind of checking her out. And she didn't freak out when it came into the teepee with her. I think I'd have been like, I am out of here. I'm going to, that's time to start pulling yeah. the guns out. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, she did freak out. That's why she left, but I just kept following her. Crazy. Did she describe what it looked like? She just said it had big black eyes and the face was like deformed. Like, like everyone says it's ugly and deformed and big black eyes. Yeah, that's kind of the descriptions I get all the time is most people say it's the ugliest thing they ever saw or I hate to use the term Down syndrome because I know sometimes some of my audience has Down syndrome kids, so I want to be sensitive to that. But uh, that's been used as a description. Well, I even hate to say that, but that's been used as a description. Uh, most people say it just looks really, really off in the face. And I, I don't think it has anything to do with I think it has to do with the proportions of the face. When people look at the face and they see something upright walking around, uh, they, you know, you think that, well, it should look like I do or it should walk like I do. And that's our own psychology putting on, you know, on this thing. Uh, I mean, it does look like a human. It has the human features, like of legs and walking up straight and even the hands. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the features are similar, that's for sure. I mean, thats I don't think anyone can argue that point. How does the tribe feel about shooting one? I know a bunch of people that will shoot one if they have the chance, but usually people are just, like like I hear on your show all the time, they're just in shock. They don't even know what they're looking at. And, like, just pulling up the scope to it, it's pretty hard. You know, like, they say their whole body is just kind of numb from the sight of it. The tribe doesn't frown on it then, as far as... I know no. some tribes kind of frown on it. Some tribes 
are pretty open about, especially down there in Oklahoma. I've talked to a few people on the reservation and they talked about the dog man. No one had two qualms about shooting one. In fact, that's pretty much on the agenda. If you see one, shoot it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of, some of, you know, some of the tribes even with Sasquatch feel that way about shooting one. I know with Brenda Harris, um, she's down there in the southeast, southwest. People have shot them and all kinds of strange things have gone on after they shot them. Uh, but in Idaho and, and in the area where you're at, has there been any aggressive reports that you can think of? From my own experience, we've had, so we have a camper up at, near our cabin just whenever it gets really cold or like when it, when the weather's just bad because the cabin's pretty old and we've had rocks thrown at it and like our cabin's right on the edge of the forest. So like the other cabin's in the middle, so around the, the farther side forest area that we look out at that just goes on for miles. We've heard rocks been thrown at it and then our, our, our RV door gets like tried once in a while and it'd be like at three in the morning. So we usually don't open it. Or we just assume it's something out there wanting, to, wanting us to come out. And I don't know. I, I still think that far. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of think they're enticing you to come out and the, the warning has always been, don't go. One thing that you said in the beginning that was interesting was and I know you're referencing stickmen, and depending on the tribe you talk to, some will reference stickmen as spiritual beings, some will reference stickmen as being Sasquatch, uh, some will reference stickmen as being, or, or stick Indians, I'm sorry, I keep saying stickmen, uh, stick Indians as being, you know, it, depending on the tribe you talk to is, is the reference you get on what it is. Yeah, like, like the Sioux tribe calls it little people. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, though, that the basic warning they were telling you was don't follow the what was it don't follow the brush if you see the brush going in where something's walked don't follow it yeah it's usually don't follow the sounds don't follow the they usually just make sounds you know like sticking or hitting sticks together hitting rocks together i remember my grandpa told me one time he was out getting firewood with my Mom and my aunt, this is when they were like little and he was younger. And we took him out there and he heard, he, they started hearing like sticks getting banged together. So we told him to get in the car and they left right away. And he said that, if you hear that, then don't follow it. Don't, don't even just leave, just get out of there because something's around that you don't want to see. That's interesting that he gave you such a strong warning. No wonder why most of the Native Americans think that the, <laughs> the white man's the idiot. We're out there, you know, banging on trees and uh, trying to get them, lure them out so we can see them. And I don't think people realize how dangerous, you know, situation you can find yourself in. I mean, I've been guilty of it myself, of putting myself in bad situations. But, uh, you know, you come across these things and it's kind of like what Bob, I remember Bob Garrett, he said something to me, kind of stuck with me. I love Bob Garrett. (laughs) Yeah, Bob's great. (laughs) Yeah, Bob's awesome. But uh, it was after him and I got a log thrown at our head. And I kept telling him, hey, let's go back. Let's go back in there. Let's go back in there. And, you know, my adrenaline's pumping. And I'm like, you know, let's go back in there. And he just real calmly looked over at me. And he goes, Wes, these aren't toys to be played with. You have no idea what you're messing around with in there. And that was a warning. And you back away from 
when you've been warned once, you back away. You know, otherwise it's like a bar fight. You're going to probably step into a punch. You know, you're probably going to step into a fight that you don't want any part of. I just think it's interesting. In the ambush? Yeah, I mean, he in that situation, he was more or less telling me, hey, that was a warning. Probably the next time around won't be a warning. So going back in there is a really bad idea, you know, and it was an obvious warning. I mean, the, the thing that threw the log at us, you know, I struggled to pick up the log Mo and I went back. Uh, so whatever, you know, however, I don't know how big the thing was that threw it, but it had to have a lot of strength because I could barely lift the log and I'm a pretty big guy, but I was struggling to lift the log up that had just been thrown at my head the night before. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's also um, another story I heard from my aunt's friend. He lives over in Washington too. And you know the Mount St. Helens eruption back back then? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he said that after everything kind of like, after everything happened, that they closed the area off and the kind of the government came in or some people came in and they said that they were, they went in before like everyone else to, to, um, to take the dead Bigfoot bodies away before everyone else could see it. Yeah, I know my previous co-host was um, said he was there when that happened and, and claimed that didn't happen. But you never know. I mean, in these situations, I just posted um, up on the blog a uh, forest ranger that uh, claimed he had hit one. And they were basically being sent out to go look for uh, animals that were suffering from smoke inhalation, you know, trying to get animals that were hurt from the fire. And he was driving along, they were in a big truck, and he was driving too fast, and him and his partner were joking around, and he said this thing stepped out on the road, and they hit it, they thought it was a small bear, and they hit it, so they they stopped the car, got out, and realized it wasn't a small bear. And if you get a chance, check that out, it's a really cool uh, interview that was done with this ex-forest ranger, because he talks about the government coming in, and basically telling them they hit a bear and whenever he tells a story to let him know they hit a bear. And Did those two guys come and visit him? The big macho guy and the little suit guy? Well, what was interesting about that story, he didn't give a description of the two guys, but he said that these two government officials came, basically said, take us back to where you hit this thing. So they got in the car with them. And they drove back to where they had hit this thing. And he doesn't give a description of what the two guys were, but they got out, loaded up the body in their truck. He said that there was blood and hair on on the bottom undercarriage of his truck. And the government official said, you drive our car back and we're going to drive your car back. And they basically warned the guys, said, hey, you hit a bear. And one of the forest rangers said, I know it wasn't a bear that we hit. And he goes, you're not understanding what I'm telling you. You hit a bear. And anytime you tell this story, you tell people you hit a bear. And if you don't, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your retirement. You know, we can easily make a fool out of you uh, to look crazy to everyone if that's the route you want to go. So he kept his mouth shut for many years. And just recently, he's come out and said, hey, I hit one of these things. And these guys were well aware of There was no shock when these guys saw it. They knew exactly what it was. On the show, we've had a lot of people come forward and say they ran into these two guys. Unfortunately, in that interview with the forest ranger, I don't think he ever gives a description of the two guys. But one of them was kind of aggressive with 
the guys telling them they hit a bear. Yeah, you should have those guys on the show. Oh, I'd love to have them on the show. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they are listening to you right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they listen in every week, and uh, I have no doubt, no doubt about that. I believe me, I have no doubt about that. But you have um, to give them a shout out. <laughs> hey, cre- two creepy guys from the government. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a fascinating topic, and it's something to where um, I love talking to uh, the natives, the you know the native people, because they they ha- they're out there the most. They have the most stories, and it's interesting too because I hear it time and time again. The warning: Don't go out by yourself. Don't go out at night. And it's crazy because most Native Americans will be first to tell you, not all of them, but most of them will be first to tell you, if you hear the wood knocking, you hear the screaming, you hear the gibber, turn around, walk away, and pretend like you never heard a thing. Yep, that's pretty much what we're taught when we're little, because that's the, that's the age where they take, they take kids I've heard, but I haven't heard any like, actual stories. I was talking to a gentleman earlier that called me and he was asking me, you know, he was saying, well, why don't we find the bones of them? Why don't we find, you know, why don't we find real, real evidence of them? Try to find that kind of stuff in a huge forest. Yeah, it's not only that, but a lot of people don't realize, and, and you'll find this a lot, ones that have died naturally. Any carcass you find out there that's died naturally, which is next near to impossible finding anything that died naturally uh, because they don't just fall out in the open and die. Usually they go someplace to die when animals know that they're dying. Uh, they'll go to a, a hidden place and they go off to die, a place of safety, because they know they're going to die. I mean, that's just that's a known fact that most animals would do that. The bodies, the carcasses that you find in the forest are generally prey. It's never predators. You never find like a predator's dead carcass unless it's been shot, you know, unethically shot and unmorally shot and just kind of shot just for the fun of it by poachers or whatever. But generally you won't find predators. You'll find prey uh, that have been left because of a predator, but you rarely ever find a, like, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a bobcat that's died naturally. I don't think I've ever seen a, a mountain lion that's died naturally. I don't think I've ever seen a bear. I, I mean, I've, I've honestly have never seen any of these predator type animals like a bear that's died naturally uh, out in the woods. I, I just haven't. I've, I've seen prey like deer, but I've never once come across a predator's carcass. Yeah, I don't think I have either. It's a valid question. I think a lot of people ask, like, why don't we find the carcass? Why don't we find evidence? It's a valid question, but I think people who've been out in the woods understand that the woods eat stuff up, especially out here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the woods will consume anything dead relatively quick. Oh, yeah. As long as you show me the grave sites you know of. Oh, the burial sites? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple here in Washington. One is over in, um, oh, not Camas, Washougal. One of the areas that claims to have these burial mounds where we have pictures of them is in a place called Washougal, uh, Washington. And it's a little bit farther north and kind of east. And it's obviously outside of town, but you hike into these places. 
I don't know, man. I'm well. I've been warned not to dig places like that up. I've been pretty heavily warned to definitely don't go in there and dig anything up, and to stay away from those areas. But I'm I'm kind of leaning more towards I think they eat their eat their own. Really? Well, I've heard like some people think they're cannibals, so I I would understand that. Well, and I think that's where the term a lot of tribes use is saying they're cannibals. Not we think of cannibals like you know us eating each other, but I think that a lot of the tribes, when you go back and you listen to a lot of the stories that some of the tribes talk about these things being cannibals, they do talk about them eating humans, but they also talk about these things eating one another. And I think the term cannibal more or less comes from the term or comes from the reference of um, eating each other. them eating each other, yeah. Well, and as you read through a lot of these older stories and different stories, especially from Native Americans, I've had a few tell me flat out that they, they eat their own. They eat their dead, they eat their own, which is very animalistic type behavior, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I can see, like, bears do that all the time. Yeah, I think most animals do. And, you know, even these being a primate, uh, which I, you know, I feel like they're, they're a primate. And again, it's my, it's my opinion, but, um, I think they're wild creatures too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. They're, they're wild. And, but I think that it's not too far off. You know, you look at chimpanzees and they have no qualms about eating another primate. I mean, they do it all the time. They wouldn't, you know, wouldn't think twice about, eating another primate. In fact, when they go and kill other, other monkeys and, and, you know, they slam them against trees and eat them. I think yeah, that, I've, seen a, I've seen a bamboo eat a baby bamboo one time. Yeah. And that's another good one. I mean, and they'll do that. They'll do that sort of thing. They'll sit and, so I think that these things probably do the same thing. I bet I'd be willing to bet money that they eat their own. Um, it, why did they, I don't think that they're dragging off their dead. You know, a lot of people talk about shooting them. Like the siege, like of, the like the um, that one show you're talking about, where that guy shot it and it um, started dying. Then when he went out, him and his brother went out to go grab it. Another one grabbed it and ran up, ran it back in the forest. Yeah, and ran it back into the forest. Now, Mike Humphreys never said that they ate it. Uh, that's just me assuming that they did. But you know, I had like Bobby Hamilton on always remember that show that I had him on because he had a story that uh, this hunter had told him and the hunter was up in a deer stand, saw this thing, freaked out and shot it. And he said that it dropped and got up, stumbled, screamed at him and then ran out into this uh, sandbar that wasn't far away from where his deer stand was, ran out in the open and when it ran out to the sandbar, it basically let out another scream. And the hunter describes it as it was obviously a painful scream. What the hunter said happened was he said two or three others came out. First, a large one came out. And he said it reminded him, reminded him of a gorilla uh, running on two legs, but kind of on a knuckle. I don't know if you've ever seen a gorilla where they'll oh, yeah. run, but they'll kind of bounce off their knuckles as they run. And he said that's kind of what it did as it came out. And he said that it used its forearm and immediately broke the neck of the one he just shot. And he said what happened was is it ripped, started ripping it apart, started ripping arms off, 
Um, and he said others came out from another side, came running out towards it, ripped the head off, ripped the legs off. And he said he sat and watched this one with this arm that he just ripped off and started beating it against a tree until it was mush. And then it sat down and started, it ate the whole arm, ate the bone and everything. Uh, wow, that'd be some pretty, pretty crazy footage if he got that. Oh my God, are you kidding me? And, and this guy's pretty traumatized, but he, you know, he was telling uh, Bobby the story. I wouldn't even know how to leave that place after seeing it. Yeah, I think I don't think he left for like eight hours. I think he just sat in his tree stand, clenching his gun. Um, and then when he felt like it was safe, he got out, got down, and ran for his life back to his truck. But it's just stuff like that. You hear stories about them doing different things like that. Uh, the story at the beginning of the podcast was with uh, Le, the Lafour incident, and basically they came across a pile of dead bodies of, of children and, and some of the women that came up missing and the Sasquatches were eating them, sitting there eating them. Um, and then a fight broke out after that. So, I mean, you just hear a lot of these weird stories and sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. You know what I mean? Sometimes you hear some of this stuff and there's a ring of truth to some, to some of it that you hear, you know what I mean? Like it makes sense. Yeah, like it kind of makes sense. You know, it's it's um, like the Lafour incident down in Oklahoma with the uh, Choctaw Indians. It, it sounds like myth when you first start reading the story. And the more research you do on the story, you start to realize that something happened. This wasn't just uh, a made-up story. This just wasn't uh, a myth that they told people. Uh, there's way too many details in this story for this to be something that someone concocted a hundred years. It will actually happen in the 1800s more than a hundred years ago, but you just hear there's too many details to the story. There's just too much going on for it to be concocted. And then as you read other articles on the incident, you kind of start putting two and two together to where uh, it makes me think this actually happened. This was a real story. This, this is something that happened in time. I mean, if they're making it an article, it's probably pretty real. The story's been around for a long time, and I know I've talked to some of the uh, Choctaws down there in, in Oklahoma, uh, some of the tribal members, and they'll flat out tell you it's a true story, that it actually happened, that it wasn't something they just told their kids as a scary bedtime story, that it actually happened. I'm looking into one of the counties down there. Uh, it looks like the county was named after this guy that actually had his head snapped off during the battle between the the Sasquatches and when they the raiding party that went in, it looks like uh, I'm doing a little more research on that, but it looks like the county was actually named after this guy. Did you say the county? Yeah, the county. The county looks like it was named after it. Wow. But yeah, those stories are creepy. Yeah, there's some crazy ones. There's definitely some uh, crazy ones. Well, do me a favor. If anyone on the tribe has, I know a lot of tribal members don't, like to talk to outsiders about it. And for the love of Christ, don't tell my grandmother was Apache because then they'll want nothing to do with me. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, if they have encounters or anything that happens down there and they want to, uh, come on the air, let me know. I'd love to have them on. I love talking to uh, the local. Oh, yeah. Right, right after I hear my, hear this episode, I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I hope you come up to Atalmuk sometime. I'd like to show you around. 
Yeah, I'd like I'd like that a lot. The next time I'm in that area, I'll definitely look you up. Love to stay in contact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have my number. You're welcome. Yeah. Give me a call anytime, man. Sweet, I will. Well, Cato, I appreciate you being on, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real honor. I've been listening to the show ever since it was on YouTube. Uh, I appreciate that, man. The honor's mine. <laughs> and just keep doing what you're doing. I, I'm full support, and I really want to meet you someday. That'd be cool. I appreciate it, man, very much. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Cato, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it on a holiday weekend. And if you've had an encounter out there, please email me, Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com, along with your contact information. And if you get a chance, check out the website, SasquatchChronicles.com. Hope everyone's having a happy and a safe uh, Memorial Day weekend. Have a great time. Have a great time for me. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. 